Let's drop the green flag on this episode of the Talent Tank Podcast with your host, Wyatt Pemberton, bringing you the best, fastest, most knowledgeable personalities in Ultra 4 and off-road racing. All right, all right, all right, all right. Here we go. The Talent Tank back in session. Took off, you know, for let's call it something of the winter, you know, King of the Hammers. We had the the pre-show with Miles. Then, of course, we all know what happened at uh, King of the Hammers 2021. What a great event. Ultra 4 absolutely smoked it out of the park with that one. Under COVID, they still pulled it off. It was really impressive. But you guys didn't hear us to, you know, you didn't dial in to hear me talk about what happened at KOH 2021. You definitely showed up today to listen to my good buddy, Brad Lovell. Lovell Racing, Lovell Brothers. Brad, how are you? Good, Wyatt. I'm uh, I'm really happy to be part of this. I've I've learned a lot of interesting things about a lot of people, and and happy to share some of my story. Well, your story is amazing, and I've known you since two, 2008, 2007, somewhere in there through XRA. Mm-hmm. Our good friend JT Taylor introduced us. I think that you know I knew who you got. You guys were always these racing these Blue Rangers. Uh, you and your brother Roger. I can tell you two very easily apart today. <laughs> 12, 15 years ago, I would always get Brad and Roger confused. And so I was always leery to call which one the right one. So sorry about that. <laughs> no, no, no worries. I, I'm, I'm like that with some people too, you know, Hey fella, how you doing? You know, it's, yeah. I, I get it. We get called twins all the time. We're not Roger's three years older, but I, I do have twin boys. So that only further confuses it. Further confuses it. And, uh, a, amazing wife, Natalie, that lets you, uh, chase your dreams. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. She's a good, she's a good manager. We'll talk, we'll talk about your family here in a little bit, but so here we are, you know, by the time everyone is listening to this now, Moab will be behind us ultra four Moab. Um, it would have been this past weekend, Brad, good luck. You're in the throes of prepping for that. That's almost, it's not your backyard race, but it's pretty, it's one of your closer events. It, it, it is. It's definitely a place we've been going for a lot of years, but, you know, actually we have something a little different going on this year. I'm not racing in the uh, Ultra 4 event. We're going out there and putting on a Bronco ride and drive. So we're going to have uh, a bunch of Bronco sports, a bunch of Broncos that uh, people can ride around in, get a ride with a pro driver. Brad, you're from Colorado Springs, right? Just yep. yep. Born and born raised, raised Colorado in, Springs. And, and you still live there today. Uh, you've, you've been racing for 15 years, greater than a long time through a lot of different genres. We're going to definitely get into all that, but here as of late in the last, when did you, I mean, well, you've been a Ford guy as back as far as back as I remember <laughs> r- racing these Ford Bronco chassis, you know, with fiberglass body panels that you that look like a, a Ranger. And today uh, you're kind of working the dream, right? You're working for your, for Ford as a consultant and you're currently on the Bronco program. Yeah. It's been a, a focus now for just under four years, but it's, it's been really exciting for me and my career to be involved with Bronco and Ford. Uh, my brother and I've always been Ford guys. We grew up bouncing around in the backseat of a Bronco and um, you know, we, we, when we got into off-roading Roger got a Bronco too I got a Ranger and we did it recreationally and then you know coming up through motorsports we always wanted to stay Ford and there there were a lot of years where it really wasn't easy and there's still not a lot of Ford motors out on the grid there but but it's really something special to be to be able to be part of something like like Bronco I mean it's a once in a lifetime deal to 
to be part of that program and and honestly have some influence in it and and where it goes. So, yeah, it's been a dream job. How do you like or deal with having this vehicle, this new platform that's out there that the masses are now buying? We're starting to see them on the streets to have your DNA on it. It's pretty cool. And, you know, I won't kid you. There's quite a while where I, I started doing support work and then they eventually, you know, I offered too many opinions, let's say. So they brought me on more as a consultant. But to see the Bronco unveil, un- unveiled, you know, privately uh, to, to learn about it, you know, you kind of hold on to that and it's your, it's your baby. Nobody else knows about it. So it's releasing that to the masses when people get to see what it is. And now I know everybody's just dying to actually touch and feel one and get to go drive it and, and see what it is. And I'm, I'm really excited for that. I really am because I, I, it's not just a bunch of lip service. It's authentic. And honestly, I would have, again, I'm not going to kid you. I would want to be involved with the program one way or another. I've never been involved with the development of an OEM vehicle and I would have done it one way or another, but to have it come out as authentic as it is to have the, the engineers at Ford to see the need and to to finally look to the off-road community for not only support, but as customers. And, and they want to make it better for us rather than, you know, taking away to make things better on-road. So it's it's pretty neat to be part of that. In my circle, you know, outside of off-road and professional world, you know, real life, th- that group of people know me to be this off-road or this vehicle, this, you know, vehicle enthusiast, this motorhead, right. whatever you want to call it. And to get, to get the questions like, Hey man, what do you think of this new Bronco? And I'm like, well, you see the videos where it's like the closed course professional driver. That's my friend, Brad driving. <laughs> and they're like, no way. Like, yeah, that's and and to see that on TV and to see the Bronco coming to life and being videoed. I assume that is in Johnson Valley. You guys shot. It looks like Johnson Valley. Yeah. That, that was a, a busy time out there. We, there had just been a lot of rain and uh, we're, we're doing a lot of activities. So we being driven dynamic, do a lot of support work for Ford. And then um, we're, you know, also I have taken on some driving duties and consulting duties. So we, we had a whole mess of testing going on and then uh, out comes the, the marketing effort. And it was, it was a big deal. And and there was there was a lot of pressure because it, they they want everything to be perfect and understandably so. But you know where where you and I where we're flying out towards pit two, let's say, and there's some whoops, and we're off the side of the entrance road. That's perfect for us, but it has to be right so that it can be filmed, so that the production bus can be there. You know, it's big stuff. And uh, so it, it took quite a bit of scouting and, and sorting it out, but we, we did a really good job. I'm really proud of the way that whole deal came out. I did a fair amount of driving for it. And uh, a couple of the engineers did some more driving. There's more cool stuff that hit the, the cutting room floor than you'd imagine. And for me, I've done, I've done some stunt driving and some camera work stuff, but this was really cool because they had the camera on the big arm hanging off the truck, whatever that thing's called, and a drone that had a, I don't know, five-foot wingspan. And they're flying that thing like almost parked on the hood, Wyatt. And you got to, you know, <laughs> you can't even react. You just got to keep driving through it. So, boy, and there are a couple shots. I can remember one with that big arm coming off the pursuit. I think it's called a pursuit. 
but uh, swinging across like right in front of me, and you know you just nailed the shot, and that that's what's really cool. It it's I, I enjoy doing all those things. I love racing, but a lot of these other things, it's a it, there's still pressure, but it's not the pressure I put on myself for racing. So I really enjoy it. What's a new challenge? Yeah, yeah. It was a lot of fun and, and rainy and unique conditions out there in Johnson Valley. So I think it kind of shows up. And, and what we're talking about is the, you know, the reveal video, which I'm sure if, if you haven't seen it, you can go back and look at it on YouTube or something. But it's, it's pretty cool. How much fun is it to work with uh, or and call these guys teammates now to, to some extent? But uh, Von Gitten and Lauren Healy, they're now it's, running Ford power yeah. plants. They're, are they converted? Well, <laughs> yeah, it's a, yeah, well, yeah, I guess <laughs> I'm glad you brought it up because, you know, we're, we've, we've always been Bronco folks. It's great. We're, you know, we've spent a lot of time with uh, Bailey Cole and uh, Jason Shear. Jason's been a longtime friend through BFG and, both Vaughn and Lauren uh, been involved with them with a couple different activities. It's, it's great. And what is really developing around it is kind of the same team that we have with the BFG performance team, which, you know, everybody's looking out for the group and really trying to help each other out to do the best for, for ultimately BFG on that team and on this team forward. So everybody brings a little bit, something different to the table and has a little bit different mission but uh, it's it's been great so far, and I, I it's brought me you know those guys are all my friends. But to to work on some exclusive like this, it gets you a little closer, I guess. Well, yeah, there's there's definitely friendship, you know, on track where you're trying to beat each other, and you know you're cheering them, you're cheering your competitor on, but at the same time, like you still want to face in front of them. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> to now being on that, you guys have the the same, you know, you're on the same side of the coin, right? You're you're trying to push this this amazing, you know, OEM vehicle out to the, to the masses and, and to do it through your medium, right? You guys brought Ford to the table. Ford used King the Hammers this year as just a launch pad for this new platform. How, how cool was that? Honestly, it's, uh, and, and hats off to Dave Cole, honestly. I mean, I, I was really skeptical if the event was going to happen at all. And then it, you know, I was racing two trucks down out there and then it felt like we're tripling down on the bet with uh, doing this ride and drive with Ford and having Ford out there and wanting to put on the, the best impression we can for those guys. So, but, you know, everybody had perseverance and had courage to do something a little bit different. And the thing is about Bronco, it's, it's not a Jeep. Ford didn't want to build a Jeep and I'm glad they didn't build a Jeep. It's a little bit different and it's really good it going fast when a Jeep, you know, the faster you drive a Jeep, it just starts hurting and it just bangs you around. But in a Bronco, the faster you go, it starts to show its spirit. So cruising 60, 70 miles an hour out in Johnson Valley and getting up through some rocks, that's pretty much the ride and drive we put on. And I think, like I said, it took a little courage from everybody to find a way to do it safely. And uh, I think we did. And we're, you know, planning to do the same thing out in Moab. Now, granted, we're, you know, to me, Moab's a little different. We're not going to go flying 60, 70 miles around Moab over whoops, but uh, there's a lot of terrain out there that the Bronco can really shine in as well. So tell me, as we talk about the terrain in the, this vehicle, and I don't want this to be the Bronco show, but here in the beginning, we're going to, because I have some questions. So I see a video, 
it's in like tight a tight woods course. And I, I say woods course. I don't think it was a course. I think it was just off road with woods and the, the, the Bronco goes around a corner and literally it drags its back tire. And I'm like, does this thing have yeah. cutting brakes? So it, it, you guys, where did, where did the cutting brakes or the, the turning breaker, how does that activate and how did that come to the table and how did that end up on the vehicle and how does that end up in production? Cause that's an, an amazing feature. Yeah. So what's, what you're talking about is called trail turn assist and what it's, it's modeled after doing a front burn in a, in a rock crawler uh, or, or screwing around in the sand. So, you know, we do not have the ability to disengage the rear drive because it's a conventional transfer case, but the next best thing you can do is cut power to one wheel and grab the brake there. And, you know, tech, Technology is only marching forward, and I just say it time and again, what's great about the Bronco is that finally that technology is for us guys off-road. So it, it has an electronic brake booster, an EBB, and what that can do is through electronics or functions, grab individual brakes. So you take the rear locker out, you engage trail turn assist, and when you go to full lock on the wheel, it'll lock up the inside tire. So and. And really, it works eighty eh, percent as well as a, as a front burn. I mean, if you if you have a rock face, you can turn around right on a dime, you so, know. And so the, the idea that they're bringing that technology in—it's a hoot in the sand. Uh, there's that and, and other technology that's just for off roading, just for you and me, and that's what I love about it. You said it's a hoot. I love that. I love that phrase. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, it, it is very cool technology and to see that we, we get it and it's going to hit the you know production. Hopefully yeah. these car, you know, we're going to see this massive influx in, in overlanders maybe more, more so than now. I, well, I, I think obviously it's a, it's an overlanding vehicle. There's, there's great opportunity. There's a whole system figured out for, uh, you know, roof racks and all that business and taking the top off and it's modular. So you don't have to store it like a Jeep top. Another another really cool feature on it that's near and dear to my heart is called uh, One Pedal. And what One Pedal does, you know, if, if, for people who are listening that drive fast in the rocks or kind of in the rocks at all, it, it's a proven technique to use uh, brake overlap. So your left foot braking, and I do it a, a ton. I'm, I'm modulating the brake to control the chassis, to keep it settled down, uh, and c- climbing up over rocks instead of just letting off with one foot and hitting the brake you can just control it right there. So you're not plodding around on the rocks as much. Well, they took that technology and put it in a Bronco also. So with one pedal, uh, let's say roughly the first 10, 15% of the throttle pedal is more brake. So you have to add 15% throttle to start moving to drive it through the brakes. And then when you lift off the throttle, it clamps down on the brakes again. So it's it's simulating left foot braking. And do, do they control it? through like through like a torque converter like it like is it very it's it, it's all through uh braking huh so it's it, fun like uh, one of the people uh, one of the engineers called the brake pedal the brake pedal simulator which it kills me because it's it's not brake by wire but it's almost brake by wire so now you can unlock all these features like trail turn assist like one pedal through technology so that brings up my next question. How much of that stuff stays involved with what we saw unveiled out at uh, Johnson Valley with this 4,600 race program? Right. 
So 4,600 race program, that's another awesome project that uh, I've, I've been involved with for a number of months now. And Wyatt, I had I had a lot of meetings about integrating this brake technology into the 4600. And what we finally decided is, you know what, let's take it out. And for now, let's go with a, just a traditional uh, balance bar. It's this pretty advanced thing Geyser has going on, but it's not going to require the calibration that this electronic system would. So a, a lot of the things we're doing when we're testing and and uh, doing durability stuff is proving out these systems, looking for error states. And it's it's unbelievable how many configurable things there are in a modern vehicle. It's in the hundreds of thousands. So you have to weed out every case. And honestly, for for what we're trying to do on the time frame with the 4600, which is a an early prototype Bronco, it's kind of out of the question right now. But if you're wondering about racing applications, so am I. Awesome. I'm glad we're, our <laughs> minds are in the same spot. I don't want to gloss over this because I, I think this is one of the, I think this is probably the coolest thing to happen to ultra four racing in the last decade. And that's not, that shouldn't be taken lightly. Ultra four and Dave and Jeff Knoll and everybody have really t- taken this industry, a place we never, you know, yeah. in 10 years, 12 years, 13 years could never imagine. And I remember back in the days, and I know you'll remember these days because you were always running the stock body on your on your vehicles. And I remember RJ Brown running the yellow Toyota body yep. on his truck. And and everyone believed at some point that the way to get big dollars in the door, big marketing in the door was to get the OEMs on board with rock sports and competitive rock sports. And it was the we the the belief was around, you know, the factory bodying your vehicle and what do we have? We have a bunch of Jeeps, right? We have every, you know, everybody makes right. a Jeep hood you know, from twisted custom to, to Shannon Campbell. They make fiberglass Jeep hoods, uh, Chris Durham. And so there's a lot of Jeep buggies out there, not a lot of Ford buggies, not a lot of Toyota buggies. And here we are Ford an OEM now has a factory racing program inside of the, the, the ultra four, uh, uh, venue. And, and that, that just, uh, when you think like, OEM racing, I think of like Team Honda and Team Green and th- those guys that race in Baja on dirt bikes. We didn't see it in, you know, the big vehicles. You know, now we're starting to see Honda get involved. Jeep hasn't been involved in racing. We've just, <laughs> they've ridden the coattails of racers turning their vehicles into racers, right? <laughs> um, c- c- come on, Jeep, you need to step it up. No, um, what was the first year Ford was in super involved with King of the Hammers two years ago? Uh, yeah, this this was the second year for involvement with King of the Hammers. And years ago, I think maybe uh, 2008, maybe somewhere around there, 2007, 2008, we, we worked with Ford a bit and and had them as a, as a partner for our team. And that's when we went through and did the newer uh, fiberglass on our truck. And that, it, it's a hard sport to understand. I think it was harder then because it was, um, you know, more eclectic when you're just doing the, the pro rock crawling versus people understand speed, people get speed. That's easy. So, and that, that lasted a couple of years and it didn't certainly didn't end on, on bad terms, but it was, you know, kind of time to go look elsewhere for our team. And we had a, a short tenure with Nissan during short course racing, which was awesome as well. But, I guess, you know, kind of where 
where we're at now with Ford, I mean, there's there is uh, a lot of uh, technical expertise that that gets traded back and forth between us race guys and the engineers, and it's it's certainly a lot more than a marketing exercise. Yeah, absolutely. But you, when you back into it, though, it's still at this level, it still all has to be a marketing exercise for the OEM to, to get involved. Obviously there's a lot of engineering and trial by fire and, and there's no better test bed than in between the green flag and the checkered flag. I mean, that goes back, back to all automotive racing, you know, that's developed even in a NASCAR or developed in F1 and, and how we see the trickle down on like just the, the brake systems going from there at the, to, to the OEM and you see the boil down and you can see, you know, if, if this thing can survive 24 hours of Le Mans, then it's damn well better be good for this Mercedes, right? Well, the thing that is really important to note about the, the 4600, it's, it's built by Geyser. And obviously, you know, I've had some influence in it, uh, consulting on it. But to me, it's very much a Ford vehicle. There are Ford engineers reviewing all the designs and, and I'm sitting in meetings talking about uh, different aspects of racing and off-road racing specifically, and then rock sports. You know, it's it's hard to understand. These guys have all the right answers. They have they're the smartest guys in the room, but they have to understand off-road and then rock sports on top of that. So that's kind of where I've been involved. But but the big thing that I think everybody should realize this is a Ford Bronco. This is designed by Ford and signed off by Ford. It's not like Ford giving me a Bronco and, hey, go, you know, build it however you want to build it. So that, that's really kind of what make, makes this program special, I think. So for the people that don't know, we're talking about, uh, you know, Geyser, Geyser Brothers out of, they're in Phoenix. Long pedigreed trophy trucks. Basically, the who's if they've raced trophy truck, they raced in a Geyser. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at, at one point, people referred to the trophy truck class as a Geyser spec truck class. There's been some, you know, uh, some diversion there and, and a lot of other people have stepped up to the plate, like, you know, uh, Mason and, uh, and then, you know, like Jason Voss has his own guys building trucks and then the, the TSCO trucks, um, uh, mm-hmm. Herbst building their own stuff. Uh, but there for the longest time, it was geyser, geyser, geyser. How did that relationship come to fruition between Ford and geyser? That's a really cool marriage. Yeah. So Ford did a, a a lot of homework, a lot of sniffing around uh, a few years ago and, and settled on Geyser as their uh, you know, factory builder, let's say. So Geyser built the Bronco R, which was really kept under wraps. And then uh, is, Cameron Steele. And, yeah, is that the one y'all raced in Baja? Yep. Okay. So, so Bronco R was more of a conceptual vehicle, let's say, or they they had more liberties uh, versus this stock class 4600. So it had a fiberglass body, which later carbon fiber body, this beautiful mold and a lot of work going on there. But yeah, Geyser built that vehicle and then Cameron Steele and Desert Assassins were in charge of running it down in Baja. So that's an effort where I, I first got involved with Ford Racing. I went down there. We had a bunch of drivers, Cameron, Myself, Jason Shear, Shelby Hall, uh, Rod Hall's granddaughter, Kurt LeDuc, uh, Johnny Campbell, who was a uh, pretty, pretty amazing guy. He's done a lot down there. Oh, and Steve Oligas. Steve Oligas is a, a trophy truck guy and owns Team Ford out of Vegas. And I'd highly suggest him if you want to go buy a Bronco. 
Yeah, August Ford there in Las Vegas. Yep. You almost name like it. It almost sounds like an off-road Hall of Fame list there. It it, it was totally out of shape, Wyatt. I think we needed something like 21 uh, fire suits by the time it was all said and done. Oh, that's amazing. And honestly, you know, we didn't finish the race, and it bums me out. There's a lot of little things that uh, happened. It it was wet down there that year, too. You get a, you get these fluke deals that happen. I mean, in, in my stage, I was taking it through the mountains, and we uh, – there's a three-seater. This is the first year, so it's a three-seater. And what happened? Well, Steve Olegas had gotten into something and ripped up part of the skid plate, so they handed it off to me, and I caught the skid plate on something else. I got stuck in, in this muddy, awful creek and had to get a little tug back. So then this was up above Mike's Sky Ranch, and then I'm coming down out of there, and you could hear the skid plate hitting. And I'm thinking, hey, it's no problem because it's just going to bend the skid plate back up and off we go. Well, it ended up being somehow the front of the skid plate got bent down. And so it was getting worse and worse. And finally, it folded all the way over itself up behind the transmission transfer case into the drive shaft and transmission lines. It cut the transmission lines. So, <laughs> so we're out there. In in the middle of the night, I mean, it was pitch dark. We had to stop in this oak grove, and the transmission isn't really serviceable. It doesn't have a dipstick. So, the, you know, it's a modern vehicle. And so what it does have is a plug that you can undo, but we couldn't find it because the whole thing was covered in mud. And finally, anyway, we found it, and we, we found a way to bypass the lines, but we needed a way to fill the transmission because it's way down there. You know, it'd be like, imagine where the dipstick goes in on a transmission. It was like that, but there was no long extension and, and we didn't have a funnel. So we're thinking, we're thinking. And finally, you know, super bright Ford engineer says, hey, Brad, use your catheter. So what did yeah. I do? I had to peel my catheter off and we used my catheter to fill the transmission, sealed it up and got on down the road. But what an uh, amazing triage story. Yeah, <laughs> I got to hand it to him because I was trying to make a funnel out of duct tape or gorilla tape and I, I couldn't get it. So, yeah, that was awesome. But boy, I sure remember it being dark and one truck stopped to see if we were all right. And then he started going again and pushed off the road. And then we had to get him unstuck. It was, it was one of those Baja nights, you know, everything's wacko. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. I picture like the scene from like Apollo 13 where, you know, it's like, <laughs> Where Gary Sinise plays the astronaut that doesn't go up and they're like, okay, this is all they have. Solve it. And he goes through all the scenarios. That's the Ford engineer going, Hey, they got a race catheter. Hey, Brad, peel that off. Use that. Exactly. Exactly. So, but Hey, awesome idea. It worked great. It took a little time, but whatever. Well, I love it. Well, so let's jump back. Let's jump all the way back to Brad level and growing up. And, uh, so you're from the Colorado Springs area. You live there now, you and your wife, and you've got a, you know, you've, you've got you know, a bunch of boys, <laughs> a mess yeah, of children, you know, something that I've, I always loved about your program was, you know, your mother was at every race. And, and then, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what you call Judd, Judd stepfather is what, what yeah, it, yeah it, Judd. and they were at yeah. everything. You had this amazing support. You know, I, I love my dad. My dad won't come to races though. Yeah. So, and and then my wife is like, I just don't do off-road to begin with. So, you know, when for off-road for me, it's, you know, it's kind of a solo affair versus you. It's always this big family, family event. And 
this year on your finish, when you came across the finish line, Hammer King had done a, you know, a, a, a really, really yeah. badass video about your mom. And ha- I'm sorry about, you know, that you've, lo- you've lost both of them in the, in, you know, in less than six months. Very sorry for your losses. Oh, thank you. I found that the levels and level brother racing, you guys have this, it's, it's this family affair for you guys. And that's not for everybody. I can't say that I've cried on the podium before, but it, it was really touching to have Rod, my brother there and, and see her picture up on the big screen that I, that was, that was pretty emotional. And, and I was certainly thinking about her during the race. We didn't talk about it, but I know that, that Roger was too. And it was, it's, it's been tough. She, uh, her and, and, uh, my stepdad Judd have, lived with us for the last couple of years and my mom developed dementia and dementia is a, a tough thing to deal with. And finally it, it, uh, it took her on the 12th of January. So, and it, it didn't make it any easier getting ready for King of the Hammers or, or trying to figure some of that out. But I, I know that she would, she would have wanted us to go and, and my stepdad Judd still wanted to go and, and it wasn't at all the right decision for him, but he was bound and determined to, you know, he's followed us around the whole country with my mom in a pickup and a fifth wheel. And he was ready to load up his uh, pickup and fifth wheel and, and follow us out. And I, we just, we couldn't do it. We just couldn't make it work for him. But he, uh, he passed away uh, a couple of weeks ago here now from, from cancer. So it's a, it's the end of an era for our, our team obviously. And it, it sucks. And, and one of my friends at Amsoil said at the best that it's a chance to start a new era. And he's right. But, um, I don't know. And, and, you know, you, you get through it. it it's okay day to day, but I think what I keep trying to tell myself is you have to take it slow enough to deal with it year over year and think about how it really affects things because it, they, they did go to so many of the races with us, so many short course races, and they'd, tow to North Carolina. They'd tow to Michigan and King of the Hammers and go to everything. We couldn't talk them out of it, even if it was a bad idea, which does bring me to a maybe a little lighter story. Boy, I think maybe they, no, they, they went to pick up JT in uh, Charlotte, North Carolina one year for a torque race down there. So they went to the airport to pick up JT, and then we had another crew member flying in a couple hours later. So what does JT do? He says, hey, let's go get a beer. So they take off, and they find JT finds a local bar on his, on his phone there, and they, uh, they walk in the bar without realizing it was called the tool shed or something like that, and uh, took one look in there. And it wasn't the right kind of bar for them. So they just turned around and walked right on out. So yeah, JT's uh, one of the few people who've been to a, a gay bar with my mom, I guess. So that, That's JT's uh, people though. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> he sniffed it out. <laughs> he sniffed it out. He's going to hear this and he's going to, <laughs> he's, he's, sure. he's going to give us the knife edge, you know? Um, yep. uh, we, oh, yeah. You know, my involvement with you guys, JT is who got me, you know, introduced us. And I came out to a couple of short course races and helped you guys and really got to know, you know, your mom and Judd, really, you know, fairly well. And Judd always had his camera. He was always taking pictures of everything. Your mom was always trying to feed everybody. 
making sure everyone was yeah. comfortable and fed and nourished and or hydrated. And then Judd was there right there with the camera oh, yeah. taking the picture. So you guys have always had this, you know, in-house media for, forever and i i I miss it you know we go out to the races now and it's like who's doing food because i i don't i don't do food i'm sorry i don't do it so we gotta you know it's always a struggle to figure out who's gonna throw themselves on the uh on the coals there and worry about food for our team but uh, and it's it's been a lot of fun over the over the years racing with jt we used to race against him and then for a lot of years before he got involved with ultra four he was part of the short course team, uh, you know, a spotter and crew chief and really did a lot for us. And those are, those are, those are all fun times. It's, you know, it's the, another era, but, uh, we did eight years of short course between pro light and pro two and had a lot of fun doing it. Oh, we're going to get, we're still going to get there. That's a, that's a whole, that gets a couple (laughs) chapters of, of, of its own. So, yeah. So you guys, you growing up, uh, in, you know, Colorado Springs, you and your, your brother, you know, Roger. And then at what point did you guys both, I mean, you had a Ranger, uh, he had a, a Bronco too. And you guys, of course, being in Colorado, you guys got to exploring. Is that kind of what the insert is in how you guys end up at, you know, adventuresome? Cause I know you guys have done some trade. Ex- you'll have to describe this or explain this here in a little bit or, or now even <laughs> you guys drove from like one side of the state to the West side of the state without doing pavement and some stuff a couple times. Yeah. So the thing growing up, I, I can remember being a kid and watching the Baja 1000 and thinking, Oh, that's what I want to do. That's for me. But my dad was a stockbroker and uh, my mom stayed at home to, to raise us. And it never felt like it was something that was ever an option. You know, it just is like, Hey, that's, that's not for me. That's not my life. And we'd go camping as a family in the mountains and we had a 88, oh, sorry, an 83 Bronco and then an 88 Bronco. And we'd go bounce around in the back of that. And then we'd always want my dad to go further and try harder. And he had, you know, he was, he was smarter than us. So he never wanted to go too far. But what he did is he left a drive within me and Roger to go further and go see things. So he, uh, he got his Bronco too when he was 16. He still has it by the way. He's, I know. narrowed it, solid axles, everything in the world you can do to a Bronco too. It's awesome. And and I got a, I got a Ranger three years later. So then we'd go camping and, and my cousin Mark and our buddy Dave, and we'd go wherever we could to, to go up to mines, to try rougher roads, to do stuff like that, do Holy Cross here. That was a big deal. And Mount Blanca and all these trails that would be easy for a more capable vehicle. Now it was a lot different back then. So Eventually, I don't know, we, we went to, we started going to Moab. That was a big deal. Uh, I guess that was, that was when I was in college. And I can remember I, I went with one of my college buddies for the very first time. And we came around to the bottom of Moab Rim and it was just he and I. You know, before you cross Devil's Crack there or whatever it is, you, you kind of come around and there's a thin point and it's steep. It's right at the bottom. Well, like down in the parking lot, I backed into a rock and cut my brake line. And it's a manual. So I was up there and I pushed in the clutch and the brakes went to the floor and I thought I was going to die, Wyatt. So I, you know, we did some trail fix and we got the heck out of there. But, you know, that was my first experience for Moab. So I have a lot of respect for that. But we went and started pushing ourselves in Moab. And uh, it was right when I graduated college. So I certainly didn't do this stuff when I was young. I went to 
my very first rock crawling competition. I just, I took it, I went to the University of Wyoming. So I just took a trip all by myself. I, I wanted to screw around before I got a real job. And I went out through Wyoming and all down through Utah and all the back roads and saw the national parks and timed it. So I showed up at Cedar City at a rock crawl. And I remember thinking, this is for me. This is what I need to be doing. So I drug uh, Roger and, and Dave and Mark down to the first, I think it was the first super crawl down in Farmington. Okay. Right? Maybe this first or second, I think it was the first one, but, but Walker Evans was down there and all, all the big guys were down there. And I remember telling him, it's like, look, we can do this. We can beat these guys. Come on. And everybody's dragging their feet. But long story short, we bought a Dana 60 front axle off a of Craigslist leaving town out of Farmington. And, and that was the beginning of the end for my daily driver because we turned it into competition rock crawler. And, and then I, I scrounged some money together and, and bought a 2002 F-250 to tow it. So, you know, it's, it's important to me not to, to lose my butt racing. And, and we started, we invested about five grand in the Ranger. We got, I, you know, PSC was the very first company that wanted to work with me and wanted to like, Hey, we'll give you a discount. It was like, Oh, this is awesome. So we really started with kind of a small investment and a lot of sweat equity and went out to the very first race or very first rock crawl. And I, I bet people remember this one is down in St. George. It was right when you rock and Arca came together and they were going to have this big extravaganza down there in St. George. And it was a total cluster. And that, that was our first event and every, everything was messed up. I, re, I remember driving down this course and it wasn't, wasn't any big deal. Why? But I was so messed up about competing in front of people. I was standing on the brake pedal so hard and driving through it with my, you know, with the gas, my left foot started shaking and trembling. I couldn't hold the, the brake enough. Well, that was like one of the courses that we finished. Another one, we just actually it was my very first one. I nosed into, got stuck, didn't even get the back wheels through the start gate. Oh, no. And I was timed out. And then I, it was later that day or the next day, we're trying to climb up on this big cliff and Roger's up there pulling on the toe strap. I ended up going over backwards and he got flung off the rock, broke his fingers. So my cousin Mark had to step in. He he came in in this this course with cones everywhere. Well, he, he got up there and accidentally kicked over like three cones and then I drove over another one. So we're done with that course. But as it worked out, they, you know, they were only able to score two courses that day or something. And we ended up winning the event. So oh, I was no. like, how the hell did that happen? So we, we won that event. We won when was that? Uh, that was- all the rest of the events that season and, and got second at Supercrawl that year. So it's what, kind of the start. About when was that? Like 04, 03? 04. 04? God. It's, it, I know. It seems like a very, I mean, it, it is a really long time ago. That's 17 years just for those keeping the tally at home. <laughs> but when we went from like 04 from that to... You got, you were in a, you know, you ended up flanged up with Torchmate somewhere along the path and ended up in a 7,200 truck, you know, racing with Bill yeah. Koontz, you know, shortly thereafter. I mean, how did, it, yeah, we're, we're just, we're, I'm getting, again, far well, out, far out from no, my skis. No, it's all part of the story. And, and I just saw that, uh, Bill just bought back the, uh, twin traction beam car from JT. 
which is is kind of exciting. So is that but, is that is that publicly out there? I mean, it's going to be publicly out there when this airs. But well, I I read it on Facebook, so oh I think, okay, I so think we're I'm good. Okay, saying it. <laughs> but um, so we, you know, I I, I guess I, I got to to talk about Torchmate. I got to talk about the fact that I quit my job in 2006. You know, it was like holy cow, in 2004 we figured we could make some money doing this rock crawling stuff and. All we had to do is just Roger and I and and my mom and and Judd for that matter going out to races here and they're really it it was cheap you could win some money and you could get some sponsors and uh, so we we kind of piddled along eventually we got a, a little sponsorship here and there for some cash and it's like wow we got we got it made and then I really I, I feel like I kind of landed the whale we got a, a sponsorship from Fabtech. That was kind of a big deal. That was enough. That was enough money to get us in trouble, I guess. But that was around the time of our our Ford Association, and things were really going great. And you know, I I got married, and then it's time to have kids. And holy cow, we're pregnant with twins. You know, so I was in this point where I'm I'm going to be a dad, and that takes time. And and I have a career job, and I want to go racing, and it was not easy for me by any means, but Natalie supported me to quit my job and go racing. And I, I think that's where I, you know, you ask who inspires me the most and, and it's my wife and, and she's given me so much opportunity, but. Well, there's a lot to unpack and, there. There's a lot to, how did, how did you and Natalie meet? Let's. Uh, well, actually it, I was doing a subdivision review for the city, like reviewing all this infrastructure that goes in and, and she worked out at the airport. So I had to, you know, there's all these intergovernmental agreements and it's like, Brad, go out there to the airport. They're doing something, just kind of rubber stamp it. Well, I I saw Natalie out there and kind of get to know her and she's managing the project and everything. It's like, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to have to be pretty involved in this project. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I want to know her. So, so you graduate from University of Wyoming. You you're an engineer by trade, and so yep. you actually, when you graduate, you actually are one of those guys that actually got a job doing what you went to school for. I did, yeah. I uh, actually, you know, Roger and I got the same degree, went to the same school, and for a while we were working at the same place designing precast concrete buildings. Uh, like a lot of parking garages are precast, but it's all stuff that's developed in a yard and then gets shipped to wherever it's going and it gets welded together. But at that point where it was all two dimensional CAD. So it was really like putting all these puzzles together, doing the design work and then engineering it. You're engineering welds and plate thicknesses and rebar sizes and stuff like that. So yeah, I did that for a few years and then our uh, dad passed away and uh, that was around 2000. And, you know, I just, I got the bug that life is too short. So at that point, I, I actually quit my job and I went to, I've quit a lot of things apparently. Why? <laughs> I, I quit my job and I went to Australia and I bought a 1978 Land Rover and I drove across the whole country, continent, whatever you want to call it. And I think that that, that kind of got my head a little bit straight about what I wanted to do. So, you, you know, there's a, there's <laughs> Matthew McConaughey just put out his book called Green Lights. And, and I've listened to enough. I'm not a good reader. I listen to things and 
he did like a year in Australia as like an exchange student and what Australia did for him and helped him get his head on right and, and settle him down and, and, and goal orient him basically just reset the compass back to a true North. Sounds very similar. What it, it taught me is you, you have to follow your, your passion. You have to follow what you care about and your pride and you can't, cheat yourself or you're just not going to be happy. And sometimes your, your own path, it might not be the easiest path or the most profitable path, but if you love doing what you're doing, you're going to be all right. So you went on a walkabout. I went on a walkabout and I, I bought that thing for maybe three grand and sold it for, for a couple thousand. I, one point I stopped just out in the middle of, I mean, absolutely nowhere. And I drove about a mile off the road and I just camped all by myself which it sounds, it's easy to talk about, but man, it's different when you're a kid and you're all by yourself. But I wanted to challenge myself. And I really wanted, man, I wanted to do so many of the long distance tracks out there, but you have to like helicopter and fuel and stuff like that. So I, I did some of them, saw some amazing stuff. And and when I got back, I uh, that's when I ended up getting the, the job of the city. And, and it was all right. It was good money at the time and allowed me to do what I wanted to do, which was which is go rock crawling. And, and we go on a bunch of fun trips back then. Like, you know, so many enthusiasts do now. And and then, so you meet Natalie, you guys have, of of course now you've been married for, it seems like forever, but it's not forever. Yeah. Well, I met Natalie when I was building our, our first ranger, you know, the, the one that kind of started it all, which is still running around out there. Yeah. And, and we got married and then, I, I was rock crawling for a little bit and thinking I was busy, which boy, it sure seems simple now, but yeah, we're doing the U rock series, did some, we rock and we were, we were winning races and we were making money doing it. And if it wasn't for rock crawling, there's no way that, that we'd have a motorsports team today because it's so hard to get into and so hard to get out of, but yeah, I started doing that. And then, uh, reached the point where, you know, we had an all right sponsorship with Fabtech and it's like, look, I think I can quit my job and make a go at this. So the the day the kids were born, I, I quit my job and off I go to be a, a professional racer. And, and it's certainly been the most rewarding. And it's also been the hardest time in my life for sure. I mean, not, not making money, worrying about Paying the mortgage uh, with time, with deadlines. You know, races don't wait. You can you can push a project off, but races don't wait. So you have to be ready. You got to be ready for the green flag. So your two boys, uh, Adam and Byam, how, how old are they now? 14, 15? Well, now they're 14. So they're 14. almost 15. So that's 15 years ago that's... that uh, that I quit. And they're, they're, uh, they're little bandits. We just built a new shop here. We got it functional around the end of last year. I think they're both out right now welding on a cage for a UTV pre-runner we're doing. So they they very much, they, they love working in the shop. They like being around it. But one thing that, that I've kind of been pretty staunch about is I don't want or need to raise mirror images of myself. And I... So I, you know, early on, everybody said, oh, they're going to race. They're going to race. Well, I sure I want them to race. But what I really want them to do is is find what I found, which is something that I'm absolutely passionate about. And I have pride in the fact that 
it, it's been built by Roger and I and our family. So I don't, I don't want to just hand them or, or set them up to be predestined racers. I'd, I'd love to use the, the cars we have or the contacts we have to help them along, but ultimately they need to find what, what in life is going to drive them. I think that's the most insightful words I've, I've heard from anyone in a long time is that, yeah, I, I'd love if, if my son was or wanted to be a racer. He doesn't, <laughs> he like, he has <laughs> no interest. It's, it's, it's crazy. Uh, and I've told this story numerous times, you know, we, we went up to Midlothian to a Texplex race and he's got both of the, the Miller boys, you know, uh, uh, you know, Hunter and his brother and, and Kyle Cheney was there and, and Dustin Jones and Kyle Hart, Marty Hart's son. Yep. They're all these, these are the, you know, the, the 20 somethings, sorry, I'm throwing the Millers into being twenties. They're in their thirties, but you know, these are the guys that are, you know, they're factory K&M drivers or they're national champions. These are like the best of kind of the best of the best in UTV racing right now. And my boy West, he's standing right there with them and they're like, Hey, we're going to get you in one of these. And he's like, he's like, no, I play baseball. <laughs> and, and, and I equate it to be like, if he was uh, got invited to like a, a quarterback camp and it's like Tom Brady and, and company mm-hmm. and Mahomes standing around and they look at, they look at my boy West and be like, Hey, you'd be a quarterback. And he looks at them like, nah, man, I like doing this. other thing." <laughs> well, <laughs> like, I, you know, the, like I say, I think you got to follow your own path. And for me, I didn't, my first rock crawl, I was 26 years old and I, I love racing, but I, you know, there's more to life than, than just racing, I think. And it's, it's certainly been my passion and been what, what I'm about, but also when I'm done racing, I'm going to go right back to off-roading recreationally and, and exploring. And and you brought up the, uh, non-event or whatever you want to call it that we've done a couple of times, which is, uh, the Amsoil Expedition Colorado. And that, that started out because, we, we had a stacker trailer going out to all the short course races and we had a UTV with the top chopped off to use as a pit vehicle. And it, it just, after a while, it struck me. It's like, why, why are we taking a UTV out? I love Willie's Jeeps. So it's like we could get a Willie's roll down or fold down the windshield, put it on top of the stacker and you have the same thing and it's street legal. So we can go out to dinner. We can get away from the track, do whatever. So I found uh, it took a lot of looking, but I found a 43, uh, Willie's MB that came out of a museum here. That's in pretty good shape. Boys and I rebuilt the motor and went through everything on it. So then we had that and boy, it sure was fun out at Crandon. We could go exploring and do all kinds of stuff. And then we figured, wouldn't it be cool to drive across the Rocky mountains or go to Moab or something and, and take that Jeep. And the safest way to do it is taking it on, on all the back passes and, and remote roads. And that kind of goes back to like a kid when I was camping, I always wanted to see what's over the next pass, what's over the horizon. So we, I got on Google earth and laid out a route and looked for absolutely as much dirt as we could find and the hardest passes and all this stuff. So, uh, Roger and myself and Jake who worked with us, just, it was just a handful of us. And we, um, we just set off the idea being, you know, you're trying to rewind life. You're trying to find challenge close to home because Baja is a long ways away. It costs a lot of money and, and there is adventure close to home. So I didn't purposely, I didn't do a whole bunch of research or anything beforehand, but I did have a route. Well, 
it's surprising how many roads you can see from an airplane or on Google Earth that are closed or gated or private or I, I still don't know why it, but God, we hit so many gates and so many issues. So we'd have to turn around, find another route, go around the gate. And it came to f- total fruition when we got on Pearl Pass, pretty much the highest point, And it was just flat out snowed off. Uh-huh. So we had to go all the, and it's like, you get days behind. It's crazy. But we did make it to Moab. We got to Moab and we finally set up camp and it was like, oh man, we made it. We're camping up on sand flats and we were watching this storm roll, roll by. And I remember telling everybody it, it was to the east. Everything goes from west to east out here. Don't worry about it. No, it was coming our way. And it just, I mean, a torrential rain drowned out our camp and it got dark I mean, we're absolutely soaked. And the only place we could think of going is grandpa's garage. So we go to grandpa's garage. And, you know, after this trip, I'll, I'll never forget because there's, we were sitting there shivering and there was one piece of cardboard in a loft and we were fighting over the cardboard. Who gets to sleep on the cardboard? Kids crawled up in the loft. I slept on concrete that night, but, but what a trip. So we've, we've done that one. We came back from Moab to Colorado Springs and on that particular trip, I lost the starter gear like 10 miles in and that Jeep vapor locks all the time. So that one was hard fought. And then we did one going from Grand Junction all the way up around through Moab, down through the San Juans to Lake City. So it's been a lot of fun. And I, I think we'll probably put something together this summer. Well, it reminds me of, you know, like these uh, expedition off-roads or that are going on. I bet you could get people to follow you. Oh yeah. <laughs> and sell spots. And, but the, so the whole, the whole thought here is that get out and do it yourself. You know, there's, there's adventure. Like, again, if, if you look back to what I was talking about in Australia, you know, driving across Australia is a lot different when you're alone in an old vehicle camping by yourself than it is in a group. So I, that's kind of something we wanted to push about expedition Colorado. It's like, Hey, here's the route go off and do it. And then, uh, you know, the last time we, we, uh, did, it's kind of like a scavenger hunt and it, and it really got people out. But I, I think there's so much adventure to be had and just getting out and seeing some of these things in a small group or by yourself versus a big trail ride, you know? Well, yeah, I, I think anytime you can get your, your kids involved and get them off, you know, off the couch, off the video games, out the door, in the shop. I, I noticed, you know, social media is certainly jaded to being all positive all the time. And so, you, you know, it's not always, yeah. it's not always roses, even though people may you know, represent it and present it as roses. But yeah, you, you know, I always see your boys are in the shop and I think it's for me and it's what I see out of my son. And, you know, I do have a daughter who's very, very, very creative, but when you see them create something out there, you got to, you get this little, I guess, window into their mind of how they think and how they process issues. And you're like, damn, I'm doing it right. Like, like you're, you're, you're hesitant to say that and knock on wood, you know, you know, knock on wood here, but you kind of like, wow, I'm, they thought about that or they've thought taken that into consideration and that they're becoming their own little people and they're becoming their own humans and they have their own, their own drive. And, and you, you know, I mean, you've, you try to tilt the playing field in their favor as much as possible, but at the same time, they still have to walk across that playing field. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a, a smart way to put it. And I, I definitely feel fortunate that 
we have a shop, you know, for a while we had a smaller shop at our last house and employees running in and out of there. And there really wasn't much room for the kids to do what they wanted to do. And so during COVID, we, we bought a house a little bit before that and had to shut down the shop for a little bit. But right when COVID hit about a year ago, we started building a new shop and and we got an awesome shop now that has space for the kids to spread out and do what they want to do. And I, I can see their expression through what they do, but also how they drive. And that's what has been really exciting to me is just watching them drive. It's a window into their soul and you can see where they're confident, where they're not, where they're questioning. So that that's, it's been a lot of fun. We, uh, over the past couple of years, we've raced the Ba 500 in a Polaris in the stock class. We, you know, I, I, I don't have a need to be highfalutin, I guess. And there's nothing wrong with going out and racing a stock vehicle. And that's where I think these guys should start. And both years we raced uh, with Roger and his son, Parker, and my two boys and rotating them through the car. And it's it's just been quite an adventure. And I I don't know, is it going to be this year again? I don't know. We'll see. I, it's hard to keep all these mechanical bits moving, you know? Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> but it's so cool to, to to be able to do that and sh- share to be able to share Baja with your kids. I think is amazing how you guys are doing it. So yeah. you mentioned you brought in you know new house, you know grabbed a new one in the past year and doing. It. Is she still this very project oriented? She picks out something and she just wears you wears yeah. you down with <laughs> landscaping or the repaint or I'm, I'm adding a room or is she still yeah same Natalie? Apparently you've seen her Facebook page, but she. You know, I, I spend a lot of time on the road and racing takes a lot of time and she is not willing to let life or projects slow down around the house. So, yeah, I've left and and we got a pond in the backyard or one time is a hot tub or we got a, I don't know, a detached patio, new gardens pop up. So she buys trees like they're Tic Tacs, you know, and plants <laughs> need trees and but all, all in all, I, I can't complain too much because that gets those projects done, Wyatt. So. Yeah, they, they knock out. You're like, hey, look what happened. You know, Merry Christmas to me. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I want to, you know, kind of, you know, jump back in the chronological of, of racing with you. So 15 years ago, you know, you quit the nine to five, you know, grind or whatever, but you didn't. I mean, you guys were already you know, working around the clock. If you weren't at work for somebody, you were home working on your cars, building race cars you know, uh, competing and then, then different genres. Uh, I remember, you know, running across you guys in XRA. I brought up the Bill Koontz deal with a 7,200 truck. I remember running into you guys in that truck in Vegas one year. I don't remember if it was maybe a mint, maybe, maybe it was mint. Maybe it was also Vegas Reno. It was numerous times running into you guys, that the black truck. And then you guys were you and, and your brother had matching twin Twinkie race cars. <laughs> they, they were the same chassis. Now, one of them died in what yeah. about 2010. Roger barrel rolled it at Pikes Peak. Yeah, in practice, yeah. even it wasn't even uh, you know competition day. This was like it was practice. He came around. Uh, it was a sweeping right hander, and then just the rear washed out. Yeah. So I, I guess to to reflect on all that a little bit. You know, 2008, 2009, the the economy obviously took a a nosedive and it affected off-road as much as anybody with the housing crisis and all that business. And and we're sucking wind. 
So I, I didn't know what the future held. And I, I went and worked a construction job for one of our sponsors and partners for a few months and, and had the good fortune of, of getting involved in Torchmate. And while everybody else was kind of hurting with the economy, Torchmate had these awesome new plasma tables that were actually affordable. They weren't $100,000 pieces of equipment. There's something you could get in your shop and uh, really looking for some presence in off-road. So I worked with Bill on on the race team, kind of managing the race team and riding with him in that uh, seven truck. And we had a lot of good times in that truck, running the best in the desert series. And we actually, I think it was 09, we ended up second place on championship points. And Bill was actually my co-driver in 2010 when we were 28 seconds out of the win for King of the Hammers. A lot of fun there. And then eventually Torchmate got bought up by Lincoln Electric. And that's what took Jeff Knoll. Jeff Knoll was involved with that program and King of the Hammers. Obviously, those have been around King of the Hammers for a long time. We'll remember Torchmate. They brought tables, CNC tables out there. They're cutting parts for everybody. So Jeff is actually working with uh, Lincoln Electric now. And Bill walked away to Montana where he always wanted to go. And like I say, it's kind of interesting. I just saw he got some shop space and a race car. So we'll see, we'll see what happens there. As part of all that, an, another awesome guy that was part of the Torchmate team was Nick Sosha. Right, right. Yeah. And again, those have been around for a while. Can remember Nick's great spotter and he had a vehicle roll over on top of him. Uh, at one of the the U Rock rock crawls, I think it was in Salt Lake City, and and he got hurt really bad. And the whole off road community came together and and did a raffle to help raise money for him. And so we bought a bunch of tickets, and lo and behold, won a chassis. So we went out, we went out, got the chassis, and that chassis is eventually we did a lot of changes to it, a lot of work on it, but that's what ended up being. Rogers uh, Ranger. So it was kind of, it ended up really being an excuse to build another car. So we put that together. And then you're remembering the year, which boy, maybe it was 2010 where it might all the four guys, yeah. it came out to run Pikes Peak Hill Climb. Well, I remember they rode, the, Dave, Dave had everybody or Dave and Jeff had everyone run Land's End. Land's End was a points yep. race or a uh, something along that and what that was grand junction and yeah, yep. that, that seemed to be every nobody had uh <laughs> we all had idiot lights right and how many people blew motors like i think jesse haynes blew a motor ben napier blew a motor there's a lot of motors got eaten you know climbing up a mountain yep indeed but i you know you, you know how it's been with ultra four it's been you know we're out to conquer the world so, and that's why, you know, that's why we're racing at Crandon. That's why we're doing all these different events. Cause we, you know, we're out to conquer the world. And part of that was doing Pikes Peak. So gosh, who all was, was there that year? I know, I think Dave Cole was running his car and JT and Roger, uh, Yoder. Oh, was Yoder uh, there? Peterson. Yeah. Yoder was there. So anyway, there are a handful of guys and I was, I was racing the pro light that, that year when it, it was actually during the race and I was sitting and staging and I watched Roger go and then they, they sent another car and then they held up the order and an ambulance goes up and I'm thinking, Oh my God. And it, you don't, you know, you're sitting in a car, you can only do so much. And 
ah, it was forever. And, and finally they brought him back down and I saw him get out and hug his wife and his kid. And, and he came back to the car and told me, so it's all right, just go we'll talk about it later. Well, I, I ran up and at that point I'm thinking, I'm not going to do anything crazy because I knew something bad happens. And in a lot of times I think, you know, one bad thing happens, another one's coming. So, and I, I had a good run up. I, I think it was a 12, 15, which seems uh, pretty slow compared to uh, the standards today when it's all paved, but sure felt like I was hauling butt in that pro light. So I get up top and then you sit up top for the rest of the day. And, and the only place I could get cell phone coverage is hike way down over the side. So I called and, and figured out kind of what happened. And he, he'd gotten a little loose in a turn and they put shotcrete in the ditches to line the ditches for erosion and stuff. And he caught a tire on that shotcrete in the ditch and it just launched him. It ripped the whole sidewall out of the tire and he ended up rolling straight down the pavement the way it swapped up and just destroyed the car. So we, we brought that one home and took it apart. And and there you go. And so I wasn't sure that if you were running that pro light, we we're going to go into how you ended up in pro light and short course here in a second. But so you're running the pro light and what I didn't remember that it was the same year at this point, but what I do remember, and I'm sure it's still out there on YouTube is you ran my, my crew. We call it the Dick cam. You know, it's this, this long, <laughs> long pipe that sticks yep. out the back of the car. You ran it in practice off of the pro light. So you got this video game view, you know, like it's like third person video game, um, view looking down over the hood, over the roof and you're going up pikes and uh, pikes when you get above the tree line and you have the, uh, you know, well, there's two kinds of turns, right? There's an outside turn and an inside turn and which side yep. the mountains on. So this is a, an outside turn and you can't, I mean, the, the GoPro is catching nothing but 3000 feet down on one right side. And you're, you know, you can hear the motor just as you're shifting up shifting through this. And it's like, wow, you know, um, one more, two more inches over to the right. And you're, <laughs> you're, you know, you're going to need wings. Well, it definitely, I, I, I put that together because you have a chance to, to practice the bottom third, middle third, and upper third. And it's like, hey, I'm going to, I only had one GoPro, but it's like they'd let you run a, a boom or whatever and practice. So I kept changing camera views and getting all this stuff before race day. And you have a day off or something before race day. It's a brutal week because you have to get up so early to go up there and practice. And Wyatt, I remember looking at the exact footage that you're talking about and I thought, oh my God, what am I doing? You know, because it doesn't look that way when you're in the driver's seat. But you get that view from up high and wide angle lens, and it's like, good God! So, um, yeah, I, I shouldn't have watched that video before race day, but I, I did that race uh, twice, and it, it was a lot of fun. I was all geared up to do it uh, the third year. I got uh, you know full blown BFG race slicks and alcohol carb, and had all the the fuel purchased and and really you know, I had more time. It was always like the week after Crandon. So I had to race Crandon and deadhead home. And if you don't make all the practice days, you can't race. And I, I think practice was Tuesday. I mean, it was brutal, but anyway, this year there was time. And then we had, we had some big fires around here as you know, everybody is aware of, I'm sure. And Pikes Peak moved the date of the race and it's always been on top of Crandon ever since this year, I guess, which they moved it again because of COVID. So 
so that kind of, I, I wasn't able to, to race the peak anymore. And now it's, it's getting really crazy because it's, it's all tarmac. And I, I worry at some point when it's going to be slow or, or snow or water up top and people are running slicks and, and launch off that road. But uh, it's, it's always a spectacle. It's a pretty cool race to have locally. Yeah, I know that's a big, uh, you know, th- there's, you know, some, some big fighting about that, you know, that, you know, the old records versus the new records when the road was still dirt and gravel yeah. on the upper sections or even still in the middle sections. And then now it's, it's paved the whole way. So how did you, I mean, the, the right question, you're this rock guy, you're doing, you know, rock sports and we knew about short course. We'd seen short course, but the same as all of us had seen trophy trucks you go out and get a pro light and that's the next level for you. And you start racing pro light. What made you make that jump or how did that, how did that jump happen? And then let's talk about your, your career as a short course driver over the past 10 years. It certainly didn't happen fast. I think 2010 might've been our, I think it's 2010 was our first year. And in 2007, we went out to, uh, out to Prim, the track out there. So we flew out to Vegas, my wife and Roger and I, because I wanted to get in short course bad because I want to go racing, you know, and this, it was the hot stuff. And that's, you know, the pinnacle of off-road. And we ran out there and ran right up to the fence and watched a car coming around. It's like, yeah, this is awesome. And then we just got roosted with all the, the marbles and everything. So you learn lessons quick. And that was the same race and the video is still out there, but Rick Hoosman, a uh, a uh, fab tech teammate of mine. Uh, those, those guys have done an awful lot to help out our program early on, but he, uh, he was running his pro four across the whip section and he hit some whoops wrong and he did a double front flip and landed on the wheels and rolled off the course. And it was right about the time I saw that I said, I don't think I'm ready for short course yet. It took three years, but what I really owe it to is Amsoil. Amsoil has always been a big supporter of, of grassroots motorsports and professional motorsports, especially in the Midwest. And they were very much entrenched in the Torque series. And we got really lucky in the fact that uh, Chad Horde was moving up to Pro 2 and they were looking for a ProLite driver. And I kept asking and asking. And I know it, it bothered a lot of people that were in the sport already. They felt like Amsoil should have looked within the sport, but they they looked to me and and I I'm still really thankful for that. So we bought a chassis and we put it together and went out and and ran Crandon. That was the first race, and it was it was very humbling because you, you got to understand why we were pretty pretty dominant in rock crawling. In all the years I can remember, one event, well two events. There's a super crawl where we bent a rod in the motor, and there was an event down in Houston where we just had a crappy event and we got 11th and outside of that, we're pretty much on the podium every event. So here I am sitting in my pro light thinking about how great a race car driver I am and take off and in my first race, go through turn one, get halfway through turn two, tap a truck, break a tie rod. My race is done. And I'm thinking, Oh my God, this is awful. You know, so that was spring cran and that was the first race. The last race of that year, JT came out to help. That was probably the first race JT came out to help with. And 
rain, 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 no chance to go out and practice nothing. And by that point, I realized that I needed some help. So I got, I got myself a race car driver self-help book. You know, one of the, I can't remember who wrote it, but talking about racecraft. And one of the big pieces of advice is anytime you're in a race car, drive it like a race car, you know, drive it to, to the limit. Don't screw around and don't get comfortable driving that thing at half throttle. So, okay. So I soaked that up. So we had one parade lap before we go around and line up for the race. And what'd you do? (laughs) I threw it into the Argon turn a little bit hard and I roll onto the lid. And so to this day, I think, well, I'm one of two guys who've rolled on a, on a parade lap, but so I'm upside down and I'm, I'm pretty sure there's fuel draining into the roof out of the carb and, and they come over and pull me, pull me back over and the hood's all messed up. And, you know, I'm, I'm wild eyed because I, you know how it is with ultra four folks. I mean, we're, we're going, that's one thing I believe about ultra four is you never quit. You keep going. So I'm not going to quit. So I, I pull up to the line and JT's there with a sawzall. They had a time to get a sawzall and he's trying to hack the hood off and cut it off. And they're getting ready to, to throw the, the green. And I remember JT's pulling the last bit of hood off and the track workers literally pulling JT off. So bang, flag gets thrown. And I actually, I had a fairly good race going. Uh, I was in the upper third of the pack and ended up, it was like a couple turns left, ran out of fuel because the fuel drained out of the carb into the roof. And that was the end of the season. And I thought, for sure, I'm done. I've spent all this money on this Prolite. I'm going to get fired. And Amsoil had the uh, a, lo- a longer vision, I guess. And, and we got a deal the next year, which, you know, led into a relationship with Nissan and, and uh, some good backing and some good advice. And we won a championship that year and, and it was a hard fought championship. I mean, right down tooth and nail. And that's definitely one of the most rewarding uh, championships I've had was that ProLite one. You garnered, you know, one respect to, you know, just the amount of knowledge that you gained from, you know, just the, the little bit of time you, you were there in a, in pro light moving up, but the relationships, like I, I know I can walk up to Scott Douglas today and he's like Mr. Amsoil. And I only know him because of you. Right. <laughs> so, I, and he comes out to King of the hammers. I don't remember seeing him this year, but I saw him last year standing around kind of by the, uh, by the, actually by the main stage when you guys won last year. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I, you know, so much of, of what's been rewarding for me is you have all these heroes that, that you look up to in motorsports and getting to meet them and, and then maybe getting to develop relationships with them that, that there's mutual respect. And that's certainly been true with, with Scott Douglas. And you know, that you know how it is. We're all fighting, but we're fighting together. And Scott for a couple years let us just go work out of his shop out there in Wisconsin to avoid the long drive home. So the boys have many hours out in his shop there and we'd camp out. He had this, this awesome building that used to, uh, they used to build log homes out of. So he had a house right there and we'd camp out and, and had a, a lot of good times. So since then he's been coming out to King of the Hammers with Amsoil and, and you might've missed him there. He's probably a little incognito, but he was out there running around this year. So it's great to, to not only 
rub elbows with with heroes like that 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 I've looked up to, but just be able to really consider him a teammate. Yeah, he's. I mean, there's so many you know great individuals like that. I remember. So JT gets. You know, I'm always I'm usually down for stuff except for going to Mexico. I'm really bad about that. JT, <laughs> as we talk about JT Taylor all the time, he's you know the he's like my co-host that he's not here right now. Um, he he will always be, I think he's almost stopped asking me to go to Mexico, which is sad. Sorry, JT, because I've told him no so many times. But he's like, hey, what do you got going this weekend? We're going to be at XYZ Short Course Race. You want to come? Yeah, man. So I remember I, I, went, I came to Floresville with you, definitely a Dallas race, maybe a couple others, but I remember at one point we're at the driver's meeting. I don't remember why you drug, why you guys drug me along, but I sit down, I'm sitting next to uh, Ari Lyondike Jr. And he's on my left. You know, the, this guy's on the bachelor a year later or six months later. And my wife is like, you know, <laughs> thinks Ari is something else and Ari is something else, but He's sitting next to me and he, he folds, you know, he crosses his legs and, and his, and he's wearing his jeans. His jeans have elastic cuffs on the bottom <laughs> and I'm looking across the USAC race trailer, you know, it's in this big 18 wheeler trailer and the lounge. And I'm looking over at you and JT trying to get your attention, like point at this, <laughs> I'm, I'm doing like the little finger. <laughs> Look at the like. Who is this guy? I don't know. And then yeah, we get out of there, and somebody says, "You know, that's Ari Lion Dyke's son." Ari Lion. I'm like, "Oh, I know who Ari Lion Dyke is." Wow. Um, I didn't know those those pants were in style. Um, but hey, you wear goofy pants, you get called out one way or another. It doesn't matter, right? Yeah, it's you're gonna get the attention. So definitely good stuff with you guys. And and I know that that event itself was. I want to say that was your first event with your pro two. And yep. at this point you had stepped up from pro light to pro two. So there's the three classes, right? The pro lights, the little guys, the mini trucks, so to speak, uh, still pretty, pretty badass limited travel. And then you move up to the pro two, which is, uh, basically an unlimited two wheel drive. And then the next, the unlimited, the big boys, the pro fours, which is the unlimited four wheel drives. So you went from the pro lights, you build a pro two, you unveil it. I think that was at Dallas or Texas or, yep. uh, and then you, as a way to, you know, uh, make ends meet, you know, you already have the race trader space and the staff available and all that you have an arrive and drive, uh, Bobby Runyon jr. And he yep. has a pro light. That guy's awesome. Um, I still follow, you know, on LinkedIn, his, his father, Bob Runyon got a great guy. Bob, Bob may live in California. He'll never listen to the show. I'm sure. But, um, <laughs> but Bob Runyon, I, you know, we're connected on LinkedIn and I've, you know, at least once a week, he has a, one of his posts on LinkedIn will be something that I'm like, yeah, yeah, I've been reading that or that's awesome. I hadn't caught that. And so I really see eye to eye with Bobby Runyon Jr.'s dad. He's a great that's, guy. I, I only know him because of you. Absolutely. But he, uh, yeah, he's, he's definitely got his, his views and, and that was an awesome program and it, and the timing worked out because, you know, it takes a ton of money to go racing and it kind of made sense that combined forces and, Boy, at that time we had uh, I had two full time guys running back and forth in the toter, and then we got a second trailer and truck, and we were a full blown carnival out there on the road. You know, we towing all kinds of stuff all over the place, and it was a good program. And he uh, he's uh, an ex karting champ, and and did pretty darn well in pro light, and has since moved on from then, but. It was fun looking back and what it was crazy because he always wanted different schemes on his truck, you know, 
and it was fun for me because I, I like designing the look of trucks and I, but again, I'm, I'm not always going to just change the look on my, on my truck. So he was always wanting wacky stuff. Like at one point he wanted a maze on his truck. Okay. So, and I think, Hey, it's going to be badass, but it's not, it wasn't like anything repeatable or something you could print. It ended up being like literally a maze. So I had to lay it all out by hand and then making spare parts for it. And we ended up, we're still doing it at the race and his mom comes over and says, why are you guys spending so much time on this? Well, it's, you know, it takes time to lay out. She's like, Bobby, we're not doing the maze anymore. We need to be working on making this truck fast. (laughs) So that was the end of that pattern, but great folks. Yeah, they're, they're good folks. So, so you're in pro light. What made the step like you said, was it some like Scott Douglas moved up to pro four and you were able to, or what allowed for there a spot to be available to you go, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to build this pro two. It seems like a big step. It's a big step. Why did we do it? That's a good question. Uh, it's, it's wanting to go faster. It's wanting to get that ride. It's wanting to, you know, ultimately at the time I wanted a trophy truck, you know, push it as far as we can absolutely push it. And pro two is the next step there. What it turned out to be, it's hard. And when you get, you know, when you're doing spec racing, it's hard because people are doing a lot of little things to get around those spec rules. And, and that sucks. But when it's unlimited, it's unlimited. And for the spec trophy truck stuff we're doing now, that's a spec motor. But, you're, you know, we're competing against people with choppers and people with multiple trucks and full-blown warehouses they're prepping this stuff in. And the same was kind of true. And. Pro 2. So the thing with Pro 2, it's all about the horsepower and putting it to the ground. So, you know, a lot of teams, you you don't like one $60,000 engine, you go buy a $70,000 engine and then you buy a backup engine. And it, it got to the point that we just couldn't keep up financially or you start to have to make sacrifices. And it was really frustrating going to the track, knowing that maybe you're already a leg down because you just can't afford this stuff or you can't afford the test time. It was at that point, which maybe it's just maturing through a, a career, but I kind of decided I don't want a trophy truck anymore. I, I don't even want a race engine anymore. They're miserable things. They're super high dollar and, and they need a ton of maintenance to keep running. So honestly, I think it was kind of a, a point in the sport where maybe that made sense for everybody because there, there wasn't the money coming in to support these astronomical engine bills. So that turned into a, a spec engine and which I'm trying, I'm trying to remember what engine it was is a 427 or something. And by the time that engine got put in, it was a little bit detuned compared to these race engines. And those trucks were awesome. It went to a DOT tire also. So it was so much more balanced. We had better times with that spec engine and those DOT tires then with all this horsepower and trying to sort it out and get it tuned right and do race tires. So at that, at that point, it got really, really fun again. And we, oh man, we had a, a great season going and we had a couple bad races. We had a water pump failure, Wyatt. That It was a new water pump that I put on because the old one was leaking. And I think, hey, we're really in it for the championship. So I, I got a new water pump from whatever supplier, I don't even remember who, and there was a bolt on the back cover plate that they hadn't tightened all the way, and it blew out, and it blew the head gaskets in it, 
So we DNF'd around, we, we tore the engine down and put new head gaskets on it for the next day. And it, it blew the head gasket out again. So we DNF two rounds and ended up narrowly losing to Luke Johnson that year. But again, those are hard fought championships, man, but that one got away. Oh, that's rough. I remember uh, you guys had the four, uh, four guys out at one of the events and they were, you know, taking lots and lots of readings off of, off of that motor. The first round, the one thing that I really found surprising, which it, it, once you're involved in it and engrossed in it and, you know, embedded in it, it's not that surprising, but from the outside showing up to it was the folders filled with tire grooving pictures of what grooves, you know, using the hot iron to cut the tire for what the course was or what the track was to what the conditions were and how crazy that was. And like, you go like, like Creighton King, Mr. The old Mr. Maxis. I mean, he'd be standing in a, you know, a, there'd be a like fire ant mounds of tire rubber grooves where he's just standing there for hours on end, just grooving tires for, uh, for guys to ensure that, you know, that that tire slides correctly, but also gives you the yeah. right amount of forward bite. It seems obvious. Yeah, it's it's an absolute art and and it it's a huge investment in time. And we'd come out with dozens of tires mounted because maybe you do a groove and then the weather changes. So you need to do another groove. And uh BFG always had guys out there doing it the track. I can remember being in the truck helmeted up and the tires are just showing up on our pit cart, they slap them on the truck and off I go, you know. And it's one thing to do a DOT tires. You can do a fair amount of work, but the full-blown race tires that BFG had, it got to the point that they were showing up and they're just slicks. There's no groove. And they're, they're literally laying out the whole traction pattern right there at the track. That's, that's where the cost of, of short course kept escalating at the time again and again. It was kind of a, a tough time to be in the sport, but in, in my opinion, it kind of led to a, a slow collapse because the, the the sponsorship, the marketing dollars coming in, even if they're private dollars versus the amount of work that has to go into things at the track and prep work in between, it got kind of imbalanced. And and hopefully we'll see if we can get that corrected now. What do you think about the, you know, Ultra 4 is now you know, in the short course game with, you know, Lucas exiting the short course business in the West and Dave and company, you know, picking up, uh, what's now called the gas, the gas series. What's your coming from? You're the, the one ultra four racer that is a short course racer and has that pedigree at this point. Um, you've got some championships under your belt in that world. What's your take on that move? I think it's a, it's a tough nut to crack. Yeah, Dave, uh, you know, Dave is is very good at making events work. And there's some other guys with some short course history. I think Adler, uh, Greg Adler might be involved and in, uh, Pulverati. And out in the East, uh, Frank D'Angelo, an old BFG guy, is pretty influential or running the, the Champ Off-Road series out there. And... So there's, there's a lot of right minds, I think, but it's a tough, tough egg to crack, Wyatt. And I, I can remember Frank D'Angelo telling me back in the day when we were talking about, you know, Hey, I need more support. Why can't I get this to work? And he says, you have to put the drivers first. You have to put the drivers first and you have to make it fun 
for them to come to an event. You can't put the crowds first or the track first or sponsors. It's got to be fun for the drivers and the rest of the things will fall into place. He's been involved with the the Champ Off-Road Series out there this last year. And, and even with COVID and stuff, they managed to pull off some events. And I think things are maybe headed in a, in a better direction there. But what I think is it needs to start from the ground up again. There have to be classes that make sense, but but every time you come up with a new class, you exclude somebody. You give somebody new a new opportunity, and you screw up somebody else. So, I I, I can't pretend to to know how to navigate that. And I do think that it's a it's a great way to get out and go racing. You know, desert racing isn't for everybody. Ultra Four has done a fantastic job of getting racing out of just the the southwest the desert southwest and some of these woods races and honestly Wyatt I think you got to look to the new feeder of all this which is UTVs and absolutely UTVs I think are something that maybe aren't as fun to watch race as a you know 800 horsepower pro four or thousand horsepower trophy truck but that is the most accessible way to get involved with all this. So if you look to the drivers and give those classes a chance to run and help find ways, you know, you, you can't fake it. It's, it's got to work for people to gr- get up through the ranks into these entrenched race programs that take years to develop. And I, I think it can work. And well, here's the other big kicker is everybody's got to work together. Lucas and Torque, there was a lot of bad blood back in the day, and it didn't help anybody. And it didn't help drivers. And and quite honestly, the the same thing goes on now with Best in the Desert and and Score. And, you know, we have a spec trophy truck, and you can run a couple different engines in there. Well, there's only one configuration from one builder that you can run and score and Best in the Desert. And it's those types of things that – and that class is really healthy. Because there's because it's fun, it's awesome, but it's those types of types of things that are going to help classes when they're struggling a little bit. Well, it boils down to, and this is the people that clue in on this that you know aren't in that world or in that genre, but they're into the ultra fours and they're into the king of hammers. What we saw the you know the, that desert invitational week, the desert weekend, the first weekend of hammers week, when the announcers are talking about the T ones and the T twos and the T threes. And it's like, okay, that's a trophy truck. And that's a spec trophy truck. That's a, you know, an unlimited. And then that's a a 6,100, you know, they're the same thing, but then we're having to call them something different because someone else has a name. And it's that type of stuff where from the fandom side of it is like, really, you guys can't work together on this. This isn't, I, it, I don't know. It's, it's, it's frustrating, but I respect why they're protecting their naming, but I don't, but it, it, it takes something away. I mean, it's, it's ridiculous is the name of the vehicle. Right. And it, I, I get it, but everybody needs to play nice together. And, and I think we all have to bend a little, I think honestly, right now, off-road motorsports is pretty healthy. It worries me that it might be a little too healthy with all the UTVs that are getting sold during COVID to people that might have uh, more money than brains out in the desert. But, you know, it's, it's, it's times like, you know, when, when short course was struggling to maintain, maintain teams that the inability of the series to work together 
just kind of hurts stuff. So I think that's where, and I have no inside knowledge on it. And I think there are a lot of good brains involved now, but hopefully they, they work together to complement each other rather than, you know, take away from each other. Well, I, I, I actually hope that's actually what's going to happen here. We're going to get some economies of scale between the gas deal and ultra four. And, you know, maybe if at some point you, with a, a majority vote in off-road, uh, that you get to start controlling and dictating kind of how those relationships work and how, and ultimately how you get to address sponsors and marketing dollars and giving back to those guys more than they put into you and give them, you know, and that's, that's ultimately how we're going to end up growing it because it takes dollars to make, you know, the merry-go-round go round and there's no dollars, then um, it's all private funds. And at some point guys lose interest, you know, the, the I've spent way too many dollars to go around this track or to, you know, for my race car, sit in this shop being prepped for, you know, each race um, at some point they start walking away, which I mean, l- like looking at Moab, you know, we had a, you know, a hundred ish 4,400s race at King and hammers. I saw the registration list had 24. So I hope, uh, you know, this past weekend, as you're listening to this, that a whole bunch more people showed up than the 24 that are currently registered. Um, Cause that just, that just, it seems crazy. It seems, you know, that, that seem to me, that seems one of the major problems that ultra four needs to solve is how to keep drivers engaged for more of the season, not just be, you know, one and done in February. I, I agree why I, I would like to, you know, we've long thought about building another truck for our trucks. Let's talk about your know. truck right now. Let's well, do it. Let's talk about the 232. This is the time to yeah. do it. This chassis is 12 years old now, 13 years old. No, I think, I think it's 14. So we, you know, there's the OG 13 event, right? So, so 2007. We, we, we didn't do that, but in 2008, we debuted this vehicle at the first King of Hammers. It was his first race. So we've, we've done almost all of them. We've had successes and failures. When we built it, we built it with the idea that it's a rock crawler, but we saw King of the Hammers look pretty awesome. So we designed another fuel cell that fit back there and a bumper, and we really had it so you could kind of change things out. And as that very first race, it was... Uh, Jeff Hoosman and Rick Hoosman and Dan Hoosman, they were all out there and they were going to help us tune our shocks with Fabtech. And I, I had Jeff in the right seat, who is an awesome pro light driver. Uh, and a, a lot of people know, but Jeff and Rick lost their lives in a small plane crash years ago. And it, it always makes me, me sad because they're right in the highlight of their life. But Jeff was riding right seat with me and I was going through the whoops, like when you head out towards pit two, kept saying, oh, you got to go a little faster. And all I'm thinking is, no, man, that's, that's fast enough for me. And so he's like, well, well, let me, let me drive it. Let me take it. And I saw him haul ass down there. And it was like, oh my God. So then we told him, it's like, all right, you guys tune the suspension. We're going to go pre-running. <laughs> so <laughs> And and they they did a, a bunch to help us out, but yeah, the we we competed. Uh, I don't know, lots of years. We were doing the unlimited race, Wyatt. We had a no, we had a fifth one year. We had that second in 2010. We we've blown up transmissions in the front diff and and had issues along the way. And then the the EMC race came around. So for the first few years, we were running both races. And we, we did pretty well. We I know we won the the forty eight hundred class 
the first time is around and we did real well in EMC. And then one year we broke the, all the front bracketry off the axle in the EMC race. And of course the big race is the next day and you know, small world, but Dan Hoosman happened to be in the next pit. And he said, Hey, if you cut all the pieces, I'll weld it up. So we're over there bandsawing and grinding and doing whatever you can do. He patches up the whole bracketry on the front axle and which is still the same bracketry that's on there, by the way. <laughs> and we ran the the big race the next day. We had a problem with the front diff. A bearing went bad. And we ended up finishing. We we're in 17th spot. We ended up finishing 11 minutes out of time. And that's when we figured, you know what? Forget this. We're going we're gonna to just focus on the EMC race. So what was it? Uh, 16 and 17, I think we won. In uh, 19, we won. This year, we got second. So the the vehicle's still plenty competitive in that class. And I think, like this year, I, you know, I think we have the pace to win. We have it figured out. But we just didn't go fast enough this year. You know, the other cars keep getting a little faster. So great, great run this year. You know, it was, it was a, a good race. Uh, yeah, you've done outstanding. I was standing there when you guys won last year. And anyone that listens to this and you've probably heard me say this, um, the, on the 4,400 day I travel, like, (laughs) (laughs) so, so I'll catch the EMC race. I won't catch the 4,400 race. I'll watch it because the live, the live show is so good. This is me plugging the ultra four live show again. It's just that good. And it really, really was uh, that good this year. Um, I enjoyed it from my couch in Texas with my hammer lung. I was, I was, I was sick (laughs) the entire next week. Like, yeah. And, and they thought I had, you know, had the COVID. No, I tested negative, but, uh, but yeah, I'd never had a hammer lung before out of, you know, 10 years of going out there. I'd never had a, a problem with it. I think it was because I had to wear the mask all the, you know, as much as I did wear the mask. Um, I think that actually was part of my problem, but who knows? We'll never know. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll never know. Well, I didn't die. That's the key. That's the key part. So yeah, that's it. You quit racing. Um, the short course stuff, you know, you, there's, you know, that's, that is racing, right? You know, you figure out, you know, what bullets you have in the chamber and where you want to spend them. And, uh, and you'll end up moving over to 6,100. You wanted a trophy truck, you know, for many years now, a unit with a spec trophy truck. Tell me about that world. You've been racing some best in the desert. You've been racing some score. It's a gorgeous truck, American flag livery. Uh, and you've had a, quite a bit of success in that truck too. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, we, we ended up selling everything we could uh, of our short course equipment and took that whole big old pile of money and gave it to a, a customer of geysers to buy a used geyser trophy truck or spec trophy truck. I, I call it a, a trophy truck when I'm around people who aren't in the sport because it rolls, rolls up your tongue a little easier, but those who know, know. So this, this was one that had been raced by Smiley and we got it. We made some updates to it, to it, did a little work and having all my newfound wisdom from my pro light days that, you know, you're not going to just jump in it and go out there and win. We put a lot of miles on it before, for our first race. And I, gee, we took it out to the, the mint might've been our first race and then went down to San Felipe. You know, the whole idea is we really want to hit all these different venues between best in the desert and score. And why I can't tell you how much fun that truck is to drive. It, it is absolutely amazing. And, you know, like in, in pro two, when you have that $60,000 bullet up there that you can put up in smoke and absolutely destroy, 
it's intimidating hearing it whine at 8,600 RPM. I mean, it is absolutely awesome, but it's a little worrisome. What if the dry sump belt comes off? I mean, there's, it's just too rich for my blood. So with, with this, you got a LS3, you plop it in, you race a season, and the, the truck has more suspension than it does horsepower, although I'd argue that that formula is evening out quite a bit. When we started, the class has evolved already. It's 420 horsepower, 37-inch tires, uh, no underdrive. Now we're up to 525 horsepower, I think, 40-inch tires, and an underdrive. So you can you can gear it a lot better, and that thing is it's so fast and it's so smooth, and it's it's composed. It's hard like if comparing it to our our rock racer, we're out there beating the crap out of ourselves in the desert just to get to the rocks. And this, you know, while while it's you know probably a, a bumpy ride for a lot of people, it just flies over stuff. It's like racing and, your and couch. The, the terrain. It's unbelievable because you see stuff and it's like, I'm going to die. And you just bloop, bloop, right over it. And, and, it's, and it's nothing. That, that was, that was how I felt when I started racing, um, you know, that class one car and it was stuff that like you pucker up, like, you know, the pucker, like, Oh yeah. Oh, this yes. going to hurt. <laughs> and then you go through it and you're like, I didn't even feel that. What, <laughs> what, how did that happen? We, it's, it's like, we got, tr- you know, transported teleported across the uh, that terrain yeah. uh, that g out or whatever wow every time you do that you realize you can get away with a little bit more a little bit more a little bit more and and it's it's an extremely competitive class uh there there are guys doing wind tunnel stuff you know they have choppers spotting them they have a, a ton of support and and that's that's great i want to compete at that level We've had a handful of successes. We haven't won a race yet, but I, I know from short course days that you you knock enough times and and your day will come. Oh, absolutely. So, and I've fallen off a little bit in my following of this. So, you know, for the uneducated here. So is, when we talk about trophy truck and then we talk about the spec trophy truck, you know, and you talked about it was limited, uh, no underdrive. It is a spec motor. It was 37s. Now you can run an underdrive. Now we're up to 525 horsepower. Now you can run 40s. Is it still have the suspension width limitation or any of that because at one point you used to use, you used to have put like shorter you could take a a trophy truck but you had to put shorter arms on it is that still yep. the case or so you're you're thinking 7200 oh maybe so, that's what it is so at this point really spec trophy truck you have to have an LS3 or i think there's an LT1 there's a handful of motors that have you know 500 plus horsepower you have to have a turbo 400 everything else well, a single speed underdrive, I guess. Everything else is game on. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, and I I remember talking to Mike Kim with Fox, and I don't, I think it has four inch shocks on the back. I don't know, but you can get four and a half. And I was saying, Mike, you know, you, you think we need get four and a half? You know, are these four inch going to do it? He said, I don't think you'll get going fast enough to need the four and a half. And all I'm thinking of is, come on, Mike, I am hauling butt out there, you know, but. Uh, it's all it's all in adjusting your vision. I can remember a quote from Robbie Gordon saying, you know, life life changes after 120 miles an hour or something. Well, it you you have to go that fast to make everything else seem a little bit slower. And that's definitely what you know, spec trophy truck or trophy truck or class one will do do for you. 
I think that's fair. I definitely know as you are in the car, what it feels like. And then someone shows you, Hey, we caught video of you guys at race mile 55. And they, you see the video and you're like, were we, were, were we towing a trailer? <laughs> it felt but much faster. It's always that way. It's always that way, man. I hate it. Or you're like, Oh man, I was, I was like five feet in the air. No, not really. <laughs> yeah, man. So what's next? What's next for you guys? What's next? Well, you know, we, we, uh, are saddling up in April and we're going to go down and run the San Felipe 250 in the spec trophy truck. So that's, uh, going to be our first trip into Mexico since COVID. And it's always, it's a big campaign going into Mexico. We've got a lot of people, a lot of trucks and figuring out logistics. We're finishing up this UTV pre-runner to go down there. And, uh, April gets to be a pretty busy month for me because we'll do that and hopefully we learn uh san felipe area pretty well because we'll be headed back over there for the nora 1000 race only i don't know a few days later so it's kind of a a quick turnaround you fours racing in san felipe this this year as well are you guys are you guys dusting off the car for any u4 races this year or is it going to be uh wait until king of hammers 2022 well i i think uh we're, we don't Wyatt, that's like 45 days out, isn't it? I haven't planned it out that far. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We have loose plans to do the San Felipe Ultra 4 race as well, so I might as well buy a house down there. But we were kind of seeing where we come out of of Nora and then the the 250 down there because, you know what, it ends up being a lot of travel and a a lot of time away from home. And then with some of these Ford endeavors, I, I travel for that too, and I you know, shoot, I want to be home sometime and, and I want to make sure I keep a wife. <laughs> right. right. She, she knows. She knows. Uh, <laughs> she which, knows. Which, I'll tell her that. <laughs> which where this went, you know, uh, us talking at hammers about, you know, scheduling this and you're like, when does, when are we going to do it? And I was like, well, I'm giving you a taste now, <laughs> but it's going to be like a month. And then it was like five weeks or something. And then you're talking and us talking through logistics of scheduling this. Well, should I bring it with me? Should I leave it at home? I'm going to be in Phoenix. And I was like, listen, I'm going to be in Wyoming and we're going to make this happen. And, uh, and we made it happen. Yeah. Well, it's certainly, I I've, I've been a little too active lately. So what, what's next is I need to, I need to slow down a little bit, honestly. And, and I want, you know, I want to find ways this, this summer and in years to come to, you know, really offer my kids more seat time. The poor guys end up helping me thrash in the shop and then they can't get out of school to go out here. School's been rough during COVID. And uh, just with, you know, it's it's been learning at home, which our kids have adapted to as well as you can, I guess. But now there's, for whatever reason, we don't have school on Wednesdays. So it's been four days a week online and now it's four days a week in the classroom. So I really value the time that they get there. And I don't want to just pull them out to go to race after race, but come this summer, we're going to, we're going to go adventuring doing something. That that sounds awesome. I actually do want to bring up an adventure idea uh, that, that, you know, I know this came from you. Do you think it's still possible to do the Pan America all the way to uh, the tip of South America in today's political climate? Do you think that's possible to pull off? Like I, if you did like an adventure off-road deal, you know, where it's, you plus nine of your buddies driving like, you know, a little caravan, you think that's doable? I do. I, I would, you know, I wonder a little bit about the, 
COVID restrictions right now, but it it seems perfectly feasible to me. I and a lot of it, one of my good friends, uh, Andrew Comrie Picard, a, a rally driver with BFG, had a concept about a a pole to pole expedition. And <laughs> I think it's it's actually going to happen. But and Whoa. and so years ago we went up in the Arctic and went out to the Arctic Ocean. I'm I'm going off on a tangent here, but we go out on the Arctic Ocean just to to learn to see it was kind of a proof of concept for this project he's been working on. We we're talking to some locals who said they had made it from the mainland across the the Buford Sea partial Arctic Ocean to Resolute Island. Well, once you get to Resolute Island, you can go to the North Pole. But there's there's these channels that can sometimes sometimes break up the ice. So the Anyway, these guys that did it, but they were telling us you have to be really careful because with the ice flows, if you get on one and it's imbalanced, it'll it'll flip up and your snow machine will slide off right into the ocean and then and then it'll come right back down flat and seal you underneath there. So it was right about that time that I said, you know what, ACP, I'm out. <laughs> you can you can do your own pole pole expedition, but I mean I that that gives me nightmares. I don't want to do that. So but yes, going down to South America is definitely something I've I've wanted to do. The Atacama Desert and down in Patagonia, there's some really high altitude mountains down there. And someday, you know, things slow down and and maybe I'm not running so hard with the race schedule. That's the type of thing I want to get into again. That's that's the big next chapter. Okay, that's why I brought it up because it, it it's totally intriguing to myself as well. I I think that type of adventure. When you go back and look at the old Pan America races, you know, in the 50s, 60s, yeah. 70s, and what they were pulling off in like a 1956 Cadillac Coupe de Ville, painted up in rally, you know, rally format and, and just ripping it uh, on gravel roads going south. You're like, we should definitely be able to do this in 20, in, in, you know, 2020 tech here, 2021 tech. Um, but then it's the, the geopolitical issues of, yeah. and the COVID issues of what the borders look like, what, you know, Venezuela looks like, what, you know, all these things. So, I don't know. I just been in your ear no, on it. See, I, see, I, see I know. I know there, there. there are concepts, maybe not as grand as that, but there are concepts, whether they come to fruition or what, or I'm a part of them. I don't know. But even if I'm not, I'm take my boys and head South, you know, I love it. Well, Brad, did we cover everything you wanted to cover? We got a whole well, bunch I, about I, you. Why? I think we've been at it for a bit here, but I, <laughs> I, I really do appreciate the time just to share, like I say, share some of my story and chat with you. And it's been good. I mean, you've been such an, an ambassador for rock sports, such an ambassador for getting off road, such an ambassador for, you know, just the wrenching, the fabbing, the, you know, you can build it and you've done it for years. And, and the one thing that, and I said to this, to you, you pre-show the one thing that I've taken from my relationship with you is how you handle sponsors. And it's interesting. You said it more than a decade ago and it's hung with me since they're, they're not sponsors that they are partners. And if you go into a relationship, just looking for money, just to put a sticker on your race car, you're going to, it's going to dissatisfy both sides. You're both going to walk away, not in the best of, uh, you know, mindset. It's not going to be a successful venture, um, a successful relationship. If now, if you go, into the door, you know, into the, this, you know, this deal eyes wide open and you are looking for a partnership that you are going to help them and they are going to help you and you develop it 
with that mindset that you're going to be successful. And here we are, you know, greater than 10 years that you've been with BFG this whole time. You've repped Ford, even when Ford wasn't repping you, you've repped Amsoil from for forever and ever and ever. I know you were with PSC early in the, in the steering game, but, and then made a move over to how, you know, in the pro light days. And, and you've been with how for what 10 years now or something like that, you know, Lincoln welders, you know, all the way that, we know where that marriage comes from. It comes all the way back from the Torchmate days of starting doing construction, you know, getting a job, you're working with those guys on Torchmate welding, you know, just where you've gone over, you know, the fast, you know, the past 15 years, I will tell you that I thought it was insane when you came out and said, I'm a full-time racer. I'm quitting my job. Uh, uh, and everyone's like, where's their money to do that? Uh, I got to figure this out. Like <laughs> everyone wanted to do that. And, and and I will say in 2015, you, you actually helped me immensely in 2015, whether you know this or not, you know, I'd walked away from my job to do anything, anything else. I was done. I was burned out. I, it was not a midlife crisis. It was just, let's, this is rain. It's course. I'm, I'm mentally no longer engaged. This is no longer fun. I don't want to do it anymore. And we talked about a pro light program. Like you're, oh, yeah. you're figuring it out and you've got other people figuring it out. Maybe this is somewhere, you know, I, I had the dollars I can, you know, have the time I can, this maybe it ultimately I was like, man, that's a, that's a whole lot of work that I always struggled with as a one man band to begin with. And I don't necessarily like my shop time to be ate up with, you know, on that regimen. So it wasn't for me, but you <laughs> made it happen and you kept it going. And, but, but you were there, you were the guy I was able to talk to you soundboard off of you. And you were, you were straight up about it. You're like, it's, it's an F load of work but it's very rewarding. You know, I've had a lot of those discussions with other people in the industry that you kind of look out and it's like, how do they make it work? How do they make it work? And Ryan Arciero comes to mind because he's one that I talked to about how his formula worked. But I think in the end, why, whether you're starting out or whether you're at where we're at now or higher on the food chain than us, I don't care. It takes a lot of hard work. And, and the only thing that's going to keep you moving is drive and passion. And that's where, you know, rewind. I think you really, no matter what in life, you got to do what you're passionate about. And I, you know, people, people are racing to be the fastest. People are racing to have the big, biggest budgets and all that. And I, I think after 15 years of doing this, what's most important to me is to be authentic and to be who we are. And I hope that uh, we can maintain that with support from our partners, but it's going back to, you know, we could definitely make more noise and, and ring the bell louder, but I'm, I'm more focused on, on being authentic. So again, follow who you are. You can't fake who you are. So just do what you're good at and things will come together. Absolutely. No, no truer words right there. Well, Brad, thank you for coming on. Thank you for bringing Ford to the ultra four table. That's we know we're valid. We know we didn't, we don't seek validity, but we like it when we get it. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there were a lot of years. That's what makes ultra four great is because, you know, we got a chip on our shoulder because we're the little guys and now we're not necessarily little guys anymore. And you know, yes, Ford, Ford is validation of that with, with their effort. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a great team and it's certainly bigger than me. And we're looking to get out there and, and show what Bronco's all about. Well, Brad, 
you know, much luck to your future endeavors, safe travels to Moab here shortly. Um, like as everyone will hear this, this is Moab was this past weekend. So we recorded a little bit out in front of that, but, um, safe travels, please keep me apprised of your adventures. I would like to be involved. And, uh, if you come up with any good harebrained stuff that you want to do in the future and you want to, you know, sounding boarded or come on and, and recruit folks, come on the talent tank again. And, uh, and, and we'll rally some troops for you, but, but Brad, <laughs> thank you for the friendship for the past, uh, you know, decade plus thanks for, I've garnered so much from you for over the years and, uh, credit you to, uh, a lot of information that's stuck in my head. It's been good. And thank you for, uh, thank you for agreeing to come on and sharing your story with, uh, with all of us out here. Well, thank you, Wyatt. And I, you have a, a lot of kind words for me and all I'm doing is rattling on about myself, but you've certainly had an influence in, in my career as well and, and the help you've given and direction and what you're doing with Talent Tank is awesome. And I look forward to seeing what's going to happen with that in the future because it's a great way. It's great stories about people and it's a great way to keep all of us together and understanding who each other are in, inside Ultra 4 and Off-Road Motorsports. Neither of us could do it without our wives. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you, Tiffany. <laughs> Indeed. That's the it. bosses. <laughs> All right. Well, Brad, thanks for coming on, man. Thank you, Wyatt. I appreciate it, man. All Have right. A good one. We're out. Thank you for listening and taking a dive into the Talent Tank. Please like and subscribe on Instagram at the Talent Tank or our website, thetalenttank.com.